I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well you'll see later. I stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots who think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Why Are You Laughing? Today, I'm pleased to introduce you to Freddie Prince. And uh, again, we're coming from the Vaulted Podcast Studios in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, with uh, the whole gang. And uh, I don't know if this is going to be a short one or what the deal is, because uh, this guy lived a very interesting life, but a very short life. Mm. Um, Freddie Prince, if uh, you know people my age might be more familiar with Freddie Prince Jr., uh, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of like younger people don't know that Freddie Prince Sr. was like one of the fastest rising comics and had one of the most meteoric careers of all time, uh, hands down, yeah. particularly in comedy where there's maybe like two or three guys that had his level of success at the age he did. Like literally Bo Burnham and Eddie Murphy maybe would be the other two. Pete Davidson, if you count him. Chappelle, but like, uh, no, because Chappelle wasn't that famous by 21, uh, 22. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, was, doing, early, he was doing but, comedy. But yeah, well, a lot right. of guys were like Chris Rock and guys like that started young, uh, but never had the success that uh, Freddie Prince had. Yeah. So we'll get right to it. Yeah, spoiler alert, by the way, he dies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should have saved that for the end, but <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, so Freddie Prince uh, started his career in, uh, again, his career spanned from 1973 to 1977, and yet uh, we're still talking about him today. Um, so he dropped out of high school to uh, pursue comedy. He was from uh, Harlem, New York, and uh, he dropped out of high school very quickly, started playing places like uh, Catch a Rising Star and The Improv in New York, and then uh, went out to Los Angeles. And he is, so, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard many times that uh, Carson, like, the idea of Carson calling you over to the couch yeah. uh, made your career. And that wasn't 100% true. Like, you know, Gary Shandling was on The Tonight Show 10 million times, and he was a famous guy, but, uh, you know, he wasn't being mobbed walking down the street or anything, necessarily. Right. So it wasn't like, and, and I mean, Gary Shanley's probably a bad example because he was famous. There are guys that did The Tonight Show 10, 15 times that we don't, we wouldn't know their names if you said them to us right now. Um, so it wasn't 100% true. But the interesting thing is where that all comes from is uh, the greatest example and the first example of that working to, to a T so much that it almost sounds made up how well the Carson callover worked for Freddie Prince. So uh, Freddie, at age 19, uh, gets a couple of uh, TV appearances. I think he was on Jack Parr before he was on uh, The Tonight Show. And then uh, he gets on the, the Tonight Show, obviously, and uh, has a set. Here's the interesting thing about Freddie Prince, and I joked about it before the show, but like, I do think comedy was easier in the 1970s. Like, sure as hell was a lot less competition. Yeah. There was a lot less competition. Like it was, uh, and you know what? There were less. There were three channels. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and less movies being made just because of where you could like you had to release it in theaters for anyone to see it. Now you have four million streaming services, so mm-hmm. thousands of hours of content come out every year. Whereas back then it was a lot more limited, so it was harder 
percentage wise to make it back then. But I do think uh, Freddie Prinze is an example, and not to shit on the the dead here, but like he was basically just a Puerto Rican guy. <laughs> you know, like we were talking before, Mike. He has great stage presence, and like for a twenty two, you know what? I shouldn't say that. What he is is a twenty two year old whose yeah. whose jokes were not particularly polished. Um, so like right. if you heard him today, you'd be like, oh, I've heard this shit before. Yeah. But as a twenty two year old Hispanic who. By the way, we really shit on Carlos Mencia a few weeks ago, but uh, I should note Freddie Prinze only half Puerto Rican. Hmm. Yeah. He was also a German, I guess. So. <laughs> so was Ned. Yeah. Right. So. Um, basically, you just had to have a, a Hispanic accent as long as your mother was yeah. Puerto Rican, <laughs> you were all right. Uh, but no, he, that was a lot of his. A lot of his jokes were, uh, you know, race and ethnicity based. Um, but he was like, he had some funny lines in there and shit too. Like, uh, he said that uh, people say New Yorkers aren't friendly, but uh, go on the subway. They'll grab you. Like, <laughs> shit like that. Like, I do think it's funny. Yeah. So it's where, like, you know, if he lived to be 30, 40, he probably, I do believe yeah. he still would have had a, a successful stand-up career. But, again, like I said, the the uh, it was pretty limited as far as uh, diversity. Obviously, I think there were plenty of, like, black comedians in the 70s. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, Pryor would be the obvious example. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Red Fox and a lot of these guys. Yeah. But Hispanic... I can't think of another one so much so that, like, I think of George Lopez as an older guy. Um, but George Lopez says that he got into comedy because of Freddie Prince. Freddie Prince. So, like, that's the type of impact he had where, like, he was the guy uh, for, you know, Hispanic comedy at that time. Um, huh. So, all of that to say that uh, he Chichin, goes on the. He goes Chichin on, Chong. Uh, all he, I can think of. Yeah, I guess. Um, but he goes on uh, The Tonight Show at age 19. Johnny calls him over to the couch, and then from that, he got a TV show. Uh, he started to- touring the country. He was huge, and um, he's given credit as, like, the guy. Um, I think we talked about this in the Mitzi Shore episode where David Letterman said, um, you know, he wanted to get into comedy, and the reason he moved to Los Angeles is because he would watch Carson's Tonight Show, and he would hear Johnny Carson say, uh, you can see this guy perform at the comedy store, and then the next day they would be famous. Um, so you, huh. you figured that's the route you go. You go to the comedy store, you work on comedy, you get on The Tonight Show. Uh, Freddie Prinze, like I said, the best example of that because the next day uh, NBC gave him the show Chico and the Man, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Um, and then obviously he was like a household name not long after that. Again, 19 years old, and this kid is crazy famous. Even like... I didn't realize, you know, uh, so his catchphrase on Chico the Man, Chico and the Man, was uh, looking good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was him. <laughs> yeah, looking him. good. So, like, both Chico and the Man and that catchphrase have held up to where, at least to the point where I know it. Yeah. You know, people aren't still doing it, Tavi, I hope. But, <laughs> but, but it is a reference that I'm aware of, uh, you know, 50 years later. Yeah. So, uh, a meteoric rise, and then, um, well, well, Let's hear, uh, uh, is the first clip we have Tom Dreisen, uh, Matt? Uh, I believe so. I'm not sure who that is. Is that uh, this guy doing the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's funny you say that, Matt, because uh, Tom Dreisen's talking, and he's a comedian from that era. Okay. And uh, he goes, you know, the thing that... Uh, he, he was kind of telling the Letterman story that I just told. And he goes, you know, the thing, uh, after Freddie Prinze, 
a lot of these guys, the Lettermans, the Lenos, the Dreisens, the Robin Williams, moved to the Los Angeles to go to the comedy store. And I was like, the Dreisens? <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you are? Uh, so, yeah, this is Tom Dreisen telling a story about uh, very early, uh, I think when he was still in New York, uh, Freddie Prince. Did did things, did people really start to move to LA after Freddie Prince got, went on Johnny Carson and got his sitcom the next day? Did that really pick up steam for everyone moving out to LA? No question about it. <clears throat> Wherever you went in 1975, like I say, people say, what do you do for a living? I'm a stand-up comedian. The next question out of their mouth was, oh yeah, you ever been on Johnny Carson? You haven't been on Johnny Carson, the eyes of America, you just want a comedian. But when Freddie did one appearance on the Tonight Show, and I knew him when he was, you know, a young kid broke, didn't have any money at all. And I couldn't, I, he came to Chicago one time and stayed uh, at my, my apartment. I had a wife and three kids and I couldn't get, I finally got him on one radio show, you know. Uh, but four months later, he did his first appearance on the Tonight Show and it was history after that. He was on the cover of Time Magazine. You know, he, he had a sitcom. He was opening in Vegas. He was, you know, uh, he, he, he was just this rise to stardom. So everybody, knew there was a stairway to stardom as a stand-up comedian if you got to The Tonight Show. 26 million people watch that show a night. I mean, there's no compare Because even now, like, people say Rogan, yeah. but, like, I don't think... Certainly not the minute it comes out <laughs> are 26 million people listening to Rogan. Right. Especially on, like, an episode-to-episode basis, especially if it's someone you haven't heard before. Whereas, hey, Carson's having someone on you never heard before. There's nothing else on, <laughs> so you're still going to watch it, <laughs> you know? Um, so there's literally, there's nothing you can compare it to. And, uh, I guess, um, Freddie was the first guy, the first young comedian to get the call over to the couch on his first appearance at age 19. And then like, like, uh, Dreisen said there, now he's playing Vegas. He's got Chico and the man, all that. Um, but, uh, and the reason we're talking about him today primarily is there was a darker side. I think this is the story. There's another clip yeah. from that same interview, right? Yep. yep. So I think this is the story I was referencing that goes back to, uh, early Freddie in his New York days. And this is like, you know, the kind of thing that plagued him uh, throughout his short life. Freddie, when he came to Chicago, you know, and stayed at my apartment, that night I took him back downtown. He was opening at the Playboy Club for Jonah Jones. Um, and and, and he, we went to this little bar. He had a night off. We went to this little bar and we were watching a trio play. And, and I was watching the bar and we were kids. I was older than Freddie, but we were, we were still new in the business. And he was watching the band. And he looked at me, he said to me, while well, he's looking at the band, he said, I'm going to become a big star one day. And I'm looking at the band. And I said, yeah, yeah. We all talked like that in those days. He said, then I'm going to go out fast, man. And I turned and looked at him. I said, I'm sorry. What are you talking about? He said, fast, man, like James Dean. I said, a, a car accident? <laughs> no, man. I'm just going to go out fast. And he changed the subject. I went home that night. I'm laying in bed. My wife, who, who as I said earlier, playing it, she was a little bit of a, a depressive person sometimes too. And I said, "Gee, Freddie said the strangest thing." I was telling her. She said, "Oh, he needs help, Tom." I said, oh, "What are you talking about? He's a kid's 18 years old. I mean, he's you know, he's you know got the world on. He's got the world in front of him. He's a brilliant young comedian." She said, "No, he's trying to tell you he needs help." I thought that's nonsense. And then, of course, you know the story. <clears throat> it's funny to hear how they thought about depression in the 70s, where like. The one voice of reason is this lady who, like, the guy said, I'm going to die soon. 
And Tom tries and goes, well, all right, nothing to see here. <laughs> he tells his wife, and she goes, uh, yeah, he needs help, Tom. And he goes, ah, shut up, you dame. <laughs> like, I, no one thought that was odd. <laughs> can can I be the fart in the small room? Please. And say that story sounds like fucking bullshit. Well, so that, you know what, that brought, my next point was going to be, I just wanted to make that point about, because okay. I do think, true or not, that is how people thought fart of depression in the, in the 70s. But the other interesting thing I find when like, when people die young is like I'm sure you watched the Patrice documentary. Yeah. All of a sudden, in that Patrice documentary, there were references to Patrice always talking about dying young that I had never heard before yeah. in my life. Like I had never heard that, and I was a Patrice fan. I don't remember that being so prevalent as like part of his personality talking about no. dying young. They talk about it with Farley all the time. They talk about it with Belushi. They. They try to wedge it in, and I've heard every Artie Lang story. <laughs> they try to wedge it in like Artie predicts his death every year, <laughs> and like the guy's still fucking fifty. Horse and um, shit. So I do always wonder when you hear a story like that, how how real it is. But yeah. but the point is, it did not come out of thin air. I don't think <laughs> because of uh, you know, like that conversation may have not may not have happened exactly like that. But Freddie Prinze would do things like play fucking Russian roulette. <laughs> which, yeah. where, which part are you uh, disagreeing with, by the way? The fact that he even said I'm going to be that. famous. I'm going to go out fast. Yeah. like oh, I, It doesn't I seem like a thing lying. people say. Little old me was going, why wouldn't you believe his wife? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I don't, the, that's the part I was... I don't think Freddie ever said that to him. <laughs> yeah. it's but, That sounds like bullshit. <laughs> it does. But, but again... Uh, he wasn't wrong if he did say it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, there was a lot to suggest that Freddie was uh, depressed throughout his life. Uh, he was a heavy drug user, obviously. And like I said, he would play, he would do things like play Russian roulette. And to, to back up Tom Dryden's story, because I don't want to say it's total bullshit, because Freddie would call people. Like, he was famous for calling people late at night yeah. and saying things like, uh, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be around much longer, things like that. Uh, huh. Oh, well, you know what? It might be a good time for the uh, uh, the J.J. Walker clip. Do we have that? Yes. Okay. Let's... Sounds like dynamite. <laughs> well, it was in the end for Freddie. But <laughs> his, his onset behavior. Um, ah, shit. We you know what? We, do, we don't have the Freddie the the Walker clip. Okay. Let's 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 hold off. Okay. Um, uh, just take me in order because now I forget where we are. We've gotten off track. <laughs> well, Chico and the Man is an instant hit. Yeah. Seventy four. Um, this led to Freddie appearing on Dean Martin's Celebrity Roast of Sammy Davis Jr. and Muhammad Ali. Yeah, so this is like a 20-year-old kid roasting the biggest <sighs> boxer, not just in the world, like of all time. Like right. the, one of the most famous guys ever is Muhammad yeah. Ali. And obviously at the time, like Sammy, Dam Sammy Davis Jr. was very famous. And this is a 21-year-old kid, you know, going up there before fucking Rickles, you know, <laughs> or even like at some of these things they have like Clint Eastwood yeah. and shit like that. So like... Uh, Freddie Prince is on the same dais as them at age 20. Mm -hmm. And they said you could kind of always see like a little, um, at least when you talk to him, you could see a little in intimidation, but like you never noticed it on stage. Like he was oh. just as comfortable as any, you know, 15 year veteran. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think I was probably too harsh about his comedy at age, you know, 19 because he's a fucking 19 year old. You know, the guy hasn't experienced the world yet. Yeah. So like I I look at it with the, you know, the benefit of hindsight saying like, ah, anyone could think of that. Um, but again, he's not he hadn't he didn't have any life experience, live. you know. Um, but yeah, Chico and the Man is uh, a huge he success. Was yeah. that? I was saying he didn't really get any either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, 
Um, you you kind of glossed over the fact that he was he co he uh, guest hosted the Tonight Show a couple times. When he oh, was you're right. Yes, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's another huge thing. We're like, yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, we're just talking about Carson and how influential he was, and 26 million people watching that. Uh, now he's just not just on the uh, the Tonight Show; he's guest hosting. Yeah, and like, so he's in. You got to figure. And that's when some you wa- serious company to be in. Well, when you wonder how different yeah. history would have been, yeah, like. Is it him fighting with Letterman? You know what I mean? Like, who the fuck knows? And we want, you know, by the time Carson left, we weren't quite at the stage where, like, uh, I don't think you'd necessarily have an upper hand just being, like, uh, uh, culturally different. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, saying, like, oh, well, that might be a different perspective than Johnny. So let's give it to Freddie Prince. I don't think we were at that point. Obviously, no. they hired Letterman. I mean, they yeah. hired Leno. Yeah, Leno. <laughs> um, so I don't think they were there yet. But it would be interesting to see, like, you know, the people talk at the very least, like uh, that's where Joan Rivers got a show um, because the uh, yeah. success on The Tonight Show, things like that. Obviously, Letterman, Leno, you wonder, like, would Freddie Prinze have had a talk show? Like, what would his, his career have been um, hmm. because we only saw him? And now I'm, I'm really starting to feel bad for what I said at the beginning. <laughs> like, I'm realizing, like, he's a fucking 22-year-old kid who played, um, you know, a, uh, a Hispanic character and the premise of the show was like a hispanic guy and a white guy what a wacky duo you know what i mean so we were still in the 70s where like you had these complete uh pigeonholing of of uh uh people like he was supposed to be the spanish guy you know the hispanic guy the puerto rican guy right whatever um and you know that that plagued him uh, throughout his career which i think we'll talk about a little but i want to go in order here so uh where are we? Now Chico and the Man is a huge success. And he's a, he's a bit of a wacky character on set. Yeah, so this is uh, Della Reese, who was on uh, Chico and the Man, talking about uh, some of his behavior on set. Well, he would hit the wall, and and the wall would crumble because they, those the walls in studios are not put up for a house to live in forever. So we would come in, there'd be a hole in the wall. And or he took he took martial arts. So we would come in and he would be jumping from table to table or whatever his lesson was in martial arts, he would be doing that. Or he would bring something that had no business there, a raccoon, and turn it loose in the, in the you know, just, just, he was a little boy. He really was. He, he, what happened was he was, he had too much too soon. So uh, just to give you a taste of how fucking insane the 70s was. Della Reese is unfazed by that. Know. Like, you know, kids stuff, like bringing a raccoon into the fucking studio. <laughs> <What> the fuck? <laughs> and uh, the martial arts thing she's referencing, I guess he was trained by like a student of Bruce Lee or something yeah. like that. And uh, you see that, like, you see this with a lot of these guys that get famous. Back then, I guess karate was the thing. Like, El- you know, you saw it with Elvis. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Where, like, oh. they have to have something. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, something keep, like, they. At 22, he's already it's a hobby. He's conquered comedy, so he needs something to do, <laughs> and that was the type of shit. But yeah, I guess he was just a, a menace on stage, it's and a uh, raccoon. <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah. really funny. And Del, Del Reese is like, well, yeah, that's just what happened back then. You know what I mean? Like they would talk. Like, it was so what a better time that was when you could oh, yeah. get away with. You wouldn't have these. These uh, looky-loos waiting right. to snitch on you on Twitter. Calm down, Ari Shafir. <laughs> you could just have fun. Those were the day. Ari's right, man. He is right. 
Definitely. Imagine like Kevin Hart just bringing a raccoon <laughs> on the set of one of his movies. Hello, like, yeah. yeah. everybody. And he's like, "What? I'm the star. <laughs> Who gives a fuck?" <laughs> this is Brian just let it loose. <laughs> hey, where the fuck did he yeah. get a yeah. raccoon? Everyone, say hi to biscuits. Yeah, <laughs> set him loose. But not not only not only Kevin Hart releasing a raccoon, but The Rock being like, uh, "Matt, that's Kev for you." Yeah, he's just a kid. <laughs> he's a wacky he's guy. Just a kid. Yeah, <laughs> kid stuff. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Chico and the Man, a big success. He's now becoming, um, and I don't know. Uh, so I heard. I think we'll hear. We have a clip of uh, Freddie Prince Jr. talking later, but um, I listened to a lot of Freddie Prince Jr. talk, and he said. Uh, so Freddie Prince Jr. is not particularly close to his grandmother, Freddie Prince's mom, uh-huh. because um, uh, they, the the mother and the grandmother didn't really get along, and obviously Freddie Prince's mother raised him. Um, so they, they were never quite close, but he said like whenever he would talk to her, um, she was very like, oh, Freddie never did anything wrong. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Like any stories that would come up about him in like the press order, she didn't believe them, all that sort of thing. So it's the type of thing where you wonder like, was he always like that? Cause he uh. never like, you know, he couldn't do any wrong in his mother's eyes or whatever. Or was it that he got so famous so fast and had no one around him telling him no, that he just became a fucking menace, you know? <laughs> uh, so what next, Matt? So um, after dating Pam Greer for a while. Ooh, yeah, he, uh, he was in competition with uh, Richard Pryor. Oh, no Pam shit. Greer. Yeah. Pam Greer. Yeah. And he, uh, he got married to uh, Catherine Cochran. Yeah. So um, uh, the Pam Greer thing, uh, he dated her for like a year or two. And uh, it was interesting because I guess the uh, – so Richard Pryor was one of his idols, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, I feel, I feel like I'm spoiling a clip I have already. But like, um, he looked up to Richard, obviously, and uh, that really hurt him. Like, you know, Richard obviously wasn't too f- too big a fan of uh, this guy swooping in on his 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 gal. Um, but um, so like Chico and the Man, like I said, is kind of a a stereotypical version of a Hispanic guy. Yeah, like, or what it what what that meant, whatever that meant. In he 19- was he was shucking and jiving. Yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. his t- stereotypical Hispanic guy was in 1975. Gotcha. That was kind of Chico and the Man. Um, and Richard Pryor would call. Uh, uh, Freddie Prince and be like, don't you understand? Like, Chico means boy. Like, why are you letting them call you boy and treat you like this? And like, that really hurt Freddie. And he was kind of, uh, he was stuck in that role. I think we do have a clip of that later, so I don't want to go too too much into it. Um, but the Pam Greer thing was always like, he was very nervous that that was going to upset Richard Pryor. Hmm. Uh, but Pam Greer was a nice piece of ass back in the 70s, so he didn't care that much. And uh, so good for him. But yeah, then he... Um, uh, then he got with uh, Catherine Cochran, uh, yeah. knocked her up, married her, and um, uh, he made a joke on The Tonight Show, actually, because this was very taboo in the 70s. Uh, he said, uh, people uh, do a lot of math around me now because my wife's six months pregnant. We just got married, so they're very worried about me. <laughs> and uh, like, that, that was, It's funny that it was like a big deal back then. And Because <laughs> I remember when I was watching the clip, Johnny goes, well, at least you're married now. <laughs> As if like, hey, scandal's <laughs> over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, he he married her, and uh, that quickly deteriorated, but we'll get to that in a minute, I think. Uh, what's next, Matt? Um, talking about his uh, phone calls to his friends. Yeah, so this is the kind of thing I was, uh, I was talking about, where uh, there was some dark shit going on. Um, and if you've ever dealt with uh, depression or alcoholism or drug abuse or whatever, uh, I'm sure you can relate to this where uh, people don't really know what to do in that situation. Um, and na- like in, you know, in 2021, they don't know what to do. So you can kind of relate to Tom Dryzen's story 
Uh, I know Mike says it's, uh, he's full of shit, but I believe him on some level. <laughs> um, but like in 1975, if a guy calls you shit-faced and says, I want to kill myself, you're like, oh, come on, Freddie, get out of here. Have a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. Sober up. Shake it off. <laughs> <laughs> what are you feeling, the blues, Fred? <laughs> uh, so what, what do we got, Matt? <clears throat> he did a lot oh. of drugs and he drank a lot. Oh, so this is Jimmy. And yeah. he yes. would call you at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And he, and he did a lot of quaaludes. And he'd call you and say, hey, man, I'm depressed. You know, yeah, well, you know, I'm sorry. You know, what do we do? He says, you got to come over. You know, Freddie, you know, <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning, man. He says, you know, I just need you over here, man. I got to have you. He says, Freddie, it's 3 o'clock. He says, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's all right if you, if you guys don't want to come over. I mean, if I kill myself or something, you know, it's no big deal. You go. All right. So you get in your car and you roll over there. You live right on 7777 Hollywood Boulevard. Doxium. You roll over there. There'd be like 10 people over there. Go, what the hell is this about? He says, just wanted to see if you come, man. And he always pulls stunts like this. Yeah. So that's what I was talking about before, where he would do shit like that. So. As much as, you know, dick. it's easy to say, Freddie, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's easy for us to say, like, how did no one notice? Like, this guy's playing Russian roulette and calling people right. fucked up at night. How did no one say, hey, Freddie, uh, do you need some help? Um, but with stories like that, it is, and that's kind of the pattern of a, a drug addict or a drunk or whatever, where, like, you get tired of dealing with that at, at a certain point. It's just human nature to be like, oh, yeah. there he is fucked up again. Nothing will go wrong. I'm going to go over there and there's going to be 10 people and he's just fucking with me and it's three in the morning. You know what I mean? So like it kind of becomes a pattern where um, people like that kind of push the people that are close to him away by being in the state that they're in. And it's no one's yeah. fault, which is the terrifying thing about it, is there's nothing anyone in that situation can do. You know what I mean? Like. I don't blame J.J. Walker for being like this fucking guy again, you know, because how many times, yeah, how many times are you going to believe it? But it's also hard to blame Freddie Prince for like reaching out and then not realizing what he's doing by being like, because he just wanted company. He called, you know, the the real yeah. the reality of that story is he probably called 10 people thinking none would come over. Mm. They all did. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it became a fucking party. And then he just shook it off like, yeah, I just wanted to see if you'd come over. You know? Uh, but I'm sure it's a much darker well, with the With the Russian roulette, they're yeah. like, well, he's not afraid to kill himself, clearly. Right. So I better get over there. He's yeah. going to do it. He's not. But then, like, you convince yourself, like, maybe there are never bullets in that gun or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you tell it. The crazy thing about it is you tell yourself things to convince yourself that everything's going to be all right. Because nine times out of ten it is. But then the 10th time, you're like, ah, fuck, I should have done something, you know? And also, uh, so Freddie's uh, drug of choice, I guess, was Quaaludes. Yeah. Quaaludes. Which Quaaludes. Quaaludes, as we say in the Blind Mike Project. Yeah. Um, Fondness for him. A hell of a drug to the point where they don't exist. That's don't how, anymore. like, you know, people in the 70s did, like, meth and heroin, and those stuck. Those and stood ludes. the test of time. Quaaludes, even they in the 70s were like, we got to do something about this. <laughs> we got to get rid of this shit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Quaaludes were his drug of choice. He would do all kinds of uh, wacky things. And then eventually uh, he had a drunk driving arrest, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, driving under the influence of quaaludes. Of ludes. Of uh, arrest. And that kind of, whether it's that or that sort of behavior, uh, kind of led, so, so a month later, uh, and by the way, that arrest was after Freddie Prince Jr. was born. 
Um, so now we're in nine. Did I skip ahead at all, Matt? Did I skip anything, or is that? No, you're right in line. Yeah. Okay. So now, yeah, now we're in 1976. It moved so fast. The guy lived for you know 22 years. So it moved very fast. Um, so yeah, he has he has Freddie Prinze, and there's you know he went on the Tonight Show after that, and it's amazing. Uh, I actually I was at uh, Skank when I was at Skankfest. Joe List was talking about this, where uh, people at Skankfest were on like acid and shit. <laughs> and uh, Joe List is uh, sober, and he said yeah. another comedian, uh, Josh Potter, who I had on the show once. Uh, he said Josh Potter came up to him on acid and uh, asked him about Matt Wayne, who I'm not familiar with. I think he's like a musician or something. I don't know. And Joe List was like, uh, you know about Matt Wayne on acid? Because <laughs> like his image of <laughs> his image of LSD is like whoa, and that's mine too, having never done like yeah. acid or obviously quaaludes or any of that shit. Same. So it's funny when you go back and watch old footage. Of a guy like Freddie Prince on the Tonight Show, you wouldn't think there was anything wrong with him. Like he's perfectly, he's sharp. Like you said, good stage presence and everything. Yeah. He's having, a, he's holding a conversation with Johnny Carson, a legend, um, and he seems totally fine. He was fucked up all the time, um, and like I said, he was in, he was in roles that he felt like. Um, whether at you know at twenty two, I don't know if he had the depth to be like, uh, you know, there. Um, they're kind of typecasting me in this stereotypical role. Like I don't know if that's what he was no, thinking. He was probably but I, just psyched to be there. He, he was psyched to get right. a shit ton of money. Yeah. Six months, by the way. Or it was around this time, um, around the uh, uh, driving under the influence arrest, uh, that he got a five-year contract with NBC for six million dollars. Which uh, I don't know the back then's a ton. I don't know the conversion rate, but it's that's a shit ton of money. Quite a chunk of change. <laughs> uh, and just to have your that would make his show on for eight years. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean? So like to have Chico and the Man kind of insured for eight seasons, that in itself is pretty wild uh, at his age. So yeah. he's making a shit ton of money. He's a 22-year-old kid. So I don't know if he if he had the uh you know, uh presence of mind to be like I'm being typecast or whatever, but he did know that he was like guys like Richard Pryor were losing respect for the things he was doing. So Definitely. he was he was struggling with that because you know, he's maybe losing yeah. respect uh from other comics, but he's making fucking over a million dollars a year at this point. Right. So uh, he's dealing with that. He's dealing with a drug addiction. He's dealing with depression. Um, so now, about a month after that arrest, like I said, uh, Catherine Cro- Cochran filed for divorce. They said this uh, caused him to slip into a much deeper depression. Um, and then we kind of get into uh, the area where he bought a gun. Um, yeah. I This is confusing because, like I said, they said he would play Russian roulette and had a gun in his office and things like that. So I don't know if this is the same gun that they're talking about. Hopefully someone took that gun away from him. <laughs> At some point, yeah. yeah. But the legend has it, and this is very confusing. They talk about this in the uh, Comedy Store documentary. Uh, and that comes up from time to time on this show, I know. Uh, very good on Showtime. It's a six-part series. So go watch that if you haven't seen it. Um, but it's a, a contrary. So uh, Jimmy J.J. Walker, who we just heard from, and uh, Alan Bursky, who I guess Alan Bursky was like uh, Freddie Prince's right-hand man. The story is that they were with him when he bought a gun. Uh, that's the story that's like told now. The story at the time, which I think a lot of people still believe, is that Alan Bursky gave him that gun. Mm-hmm. And people held this over mm-hmm. Alan Bursky for a lot of years. Uh, and it was something he, there's a very sad video. I didn't include it because it's, uh, the quality wasn't great, but there's a video of Alan Bursky at Freddie's uh, uh, grave site, uh, just kind of talking. It's, it's very sad. You can tell this like loomed over this guy for years and he took a lot of the blame for this. 
Uh, but they say that either Alan Bursky was there when he bought the gun and allowed it to happen or uh, gave him the gun, which would be worse. Mm. How are you going to tell him no? So uh, that's like, yeah, I think that sounds silly. Like people listening might be like, oh, fuck you, crap. <laughs> but like, I, yeah, I think you're right. Where like, yeah. hey, it's Freddie Prince, <laughs> you know, like the next like, yeah. the next day he's going to be not with him and he'll and go buy go the back and get gun. a gun. So everyone yeah. shut the fuck up. Well, <laughs> I, it's, it's tough because they probably should have stepped in and said this is a guy that shouldn't have a gun. But, like, you can't be. Maybe they were fucked up too. <laughs> Let's yeah. not forget it's the seventies, yeah. and Qua- Quaaludes are in the room. That's so. true. But you're not <laughs> you're not attached to his hip. He's gonna find time to buy a gun. Right. Yeah, They're not his caretakers. It. Maybe he convinced oh, you're them. Right, Craig. Drug addicts are very good at uh, convincing you they need the things that they're getting. Correct. You know what I mean? Whether it's money or a fucking gun or your time or whatever, <laughs> drug addicts are great at uh, convincing you that they need whatever they're talking about. And you're it's like, salesman. okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to January of where? 76 or 77? 77. 77. January 77, he, uh, he's making a few of these phone calls. And he calls uh, Catherine Cochran, who he kept you know, in touch with, obviously, the mother of uh, his child. Uh, called her, um, you know, made some uh, depressing comments. And then uh, called his manager. Um, <coughs> what's his name again, Matt? Dusty Snyder. Yes, Marvin Dusty Snyder. Uh, called his manager. Manager comes over to the hotel room that um, uh, Freddie was staying at. And uh, while uh, Marvin was in the room, uh, Freddie shot himself mm. uh, with the gun that Alan Bursky either gave him uh, or saw him purchase. So he was... It's tough because it was, you know, he was telling a lot of people that this was going to happen or that he wanted to do this, or at the very least, firing a gun at his head uh, to make people laugh or to make people cringe, whatever it was that those Russian roulette things were about. Um, So, you know, it's a very sad story, and it's a great example of what fame can do to you, can do to a person. Um, Because I believe a lot of the depression comes from, I mean, obviously a lot of it is drug addiction and whatever trouble he was going with. Uh, in his personal life with his wife and things like that. But I do believe a lot of it is what was happening in his career where, A, he had too much money way too fast. He was allowed to do things like bring a fucking raccoon <laughs> into the studio, which we probably glossed over a little too quickly. Nobody better than I. <laughs> no one, so he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. He was a kid with a ton of money that was never being told no and struggled with depression. Which, you know, uh, an inherent depression, I'm sure, as well, but also depression from um, things like the Richard Pryor thing that I talked to you. Mm. Um, so we have a clip. What's the next clip? The Freddie Prinze? Uh, yeah, Freddie Prinze Jr. Yeah, so this is pretty interesting. Um, Freddie Prinze does a podcast with uh, Josh Wolf, I think, K- KFC's boy, um, who's a comedian. And uh, he's a pretty interesting guy. Also, side note, Freddie Prinze is a guy, if you go watch his old stuff, mm-hmm. like watch his early appearances on Leno. Who, by the way, I guess Leno was like roommates with, uh, uh, well, I think that comes up here. Uh, but Leno was roommates with uh, Freddie Prince. Yeah. So you go watch uh, Freddie Prince's early like Tonight Show appearances and stuff. And he's like, hey, guys, how you doing? And now listen to his, <laughs> listen to how gruff his voice is. Um, but this is Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, talking about his dad, who was only around for one year of Freddie's life. My dad hated being on Chico and the Man. He yeah. hated it. Chico meant boy. 
And Richard Pryor would call him huh. every night and be like, you don't let them call you boy? Do you understand how disrespectful? And Richard was the one who discovered my dad. Like right. he was my dad's hero. Even though they had beef because of Pam Greer, because Pam picked my dad instead of Richard, he still, it killed him that Richard didn't respect him. It killed him that Richard would give him all this heat for this, right? But my dad didn't know how to say no. It was just, yes, yes, yes. He was working five days a week on Chico. But also, man, I know that, Chico means boy, but the opportunity for Latinos to see somebody... He got hated on by the Latinos, yeah. so he couldn't get love there, because Mexicans were like, fuck you, you're Puerto Rican. It's right. like, yo, white people think we're all the same, man. You got to send love to right. <laughs> anybody speaking Spanish, you need to love. But he was working five days on Chico. That night, he was doing all the local clubs. Right. And then on the weekends, he had the Vegas gig, or he had to go here, he had to go there. It was seven days a week, every single day for two years straight. It's it's huh. sad. It's similar to um, uh, when I had Anthony DeVito on. We talked about Chris Rock and how um, a lot of like black people lost respect for Chris Rock after uh, the N, N word bit, <clears throat> like black people versus N words, um, because yeah. it kind of gave like racists an excuse uh, to oh, use, yeah. to you to use that uh, sort of logic. And uh, Chris Rock struggled with that for a little while. It's similar and dissimilar, but it's similar in the sense that, um, like Josh Wolf's mindset is like, hey, he was he influenced like George Lopez said uh, that his, Freddie Prince Jr.'s dad is the reason I got into stand up, and that's Josh Wolf's mindset. But as like white guys, we don't really deal with the weight of a race on your shoulders, particularly in 1975, where there were other no, there were no other like Latino figures in comedy really. Yeah. Um, so it's something he, he struggled with a long time, and obviously uh, uh, it ended disastrously. Uh, so it's hard to say. I mean, like as far as influences, like I said, uh, like them or not, George Lopez, probably Carlos Mencia. <laughs> Although I don't know if anyone really influenced Carlos Mencia as much as uh, the people he took jokes from. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Everyone that. influenced Carlos uh, in, Mencia. In their own way, yeah. <laughs> Depends on what your definition of the word influence is. <laughs> yeah. But he... he Freddie kind of influenced an entire generation uh, to get into comedy. And, I've, you know, yeah. like there were a lot of – there was a movie made about his life shortly after oh, yeah. and things like that. Uh, you know, very, very sad, very sad story. Um, but it's – yeah, is there any, any other uh, audio clips? I forget. There's one more clip with uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, yeah, so let's hear that. You have to have someone like that. My old man didn't have anybody no. like that. And, but, and they were uh, seeing – his talent as a huge opportunity to make money, not in a bad, gross way, although I'm sure there were some people in that circle, but there were also other people that just thought he could handle it because he, was, he wasn't very honest with people. He was very, even with like Jay Leno, who was his closest friend, Jay's told me before, he's like, there were nights where I literally felt like I never even knew him. He was just like, I would talk to, we, they were roommates out here in LA trying to make it when they were both broke. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, I would, he would come home and I just wouldn't even know who he was. Because he didn't know who he was. He had no idea, and this business defined huh. him. Yeah. Yeah. So then they go on to talk about It's actually an interesting uh, segment from uh, that. I don't know what that show that is, whatever Josh Wolf and Freddie Prinze do together. Um, but it, it's, it's very interesting to hear them talk about that because it's like, and the industry does this to you a lot. If you aren't able to break out of a role, um, like he go, you know what he was interesting is he goes on to talk about uh, the example he used was uh, what's his name Daniel Radcliffe the guy, kid that played Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah. He's 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 talking about like choices Daniel Radcliffe is making now that have nothing to do with Harry Potter. Obviously, he tries to stay away from that role yeah. and everything. And he goes, he says he's doing all that 
so that when he's 40, hopefully he can have a role where people don't say, hey, that's Harry Potter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of young people struggle with that where it's like, oh, fuck, every role I'm going to get is like looking good. Like that's <laughs> going to be me forever now. Yeah. Um, and that's what Hollywood does to you because, and this is less true now, with uh, just the amount of streaming services and people being able to put out their own shit on YouTube or wherever else, um, patreon.com slash blind Mike or wherever. Um, <laughs> but uh, with people, it's not as prevalent now, uh, but it still is where like the example, the go-to example I always use is Tim Dillon, where Tim Dillon right now is one of the biggest voices in comedy, in my opinion. And he's like the highest paid guy on Patreon and all that. And you would think networks or um, uh, some media outlets or Netflix or whoever would see that and say, we have to capitalize on this because a Tim Dillon's one of the biggest names in comedy and he's gay. Like he's a role model. We claim to want to have all these role models for uh, whether it's gay people or minorities or whatever. Um, We want to have a voice for them. Well, Tim Dillon's the most unique voice. Like Craig just said, you don't, no one knows he's gay. Really. I didn't know that. You don't. You don't oh, you didn't? No. Yeah. So you don't. You, you hate him now. <laughs> All right. Relax. <laughs> what is that? Jesus. No. Um, Idiots. So uh, uh, you wouldn't know. Like, why would you? But the industry doesn't want some like one like that. You know what I mean? Like, mm. as much as they say they want diversity, what they would prefer or they want to normalize. They want things. the flamboyant. They would ones. prefer Tim Dillon comes sashaying in and yeah. talks about fashion and this and that. And you know, like they don't want Tim Dillon to be a gruff guy who isn't necessarily a far left liberal. Mm. You know, right? Um, so they don't respect. And that's kind of what uh, Freddie Prinze was doing, and he's one of the better examples of that because mm. he had such a meteoric rise, and in part. Killed himself because of it. Um, now, there's a lot of, like, gray area where, like, did Freddie Prinze uh, kill himself? Um, the mother that I referenced earlier, Freddie Prinze's mother, uh, won a lawsuit in order to get a, um, some type of, like, life insurance payout or something, mm-hmm. saying it was not a suicide uh, because he was prescribed quaaludes and basically he huh. said these fucking idiot therapists prescri- they gave him quaaludes he's under the influence of quaaludes so good for her for calling that out sounds familiar uh, yeah right this, the current opioid epidemic yeah right <laughs> um so it is uh uh it was ruled at least what would that be like civilly not a suicide um yeah. but uh, uh he, there was a suicide note um he wrote a suicide note so Jesus. So, but then that, even that's questioned because he would do things like call people up and say, I'm going to fucking kill myself. And then they'd go to his house and he'd be having a party. So people are like, did he write that meaning to kill himself that day? Or was it something he just wrote for shits and giggles or not necessarily to, to use that day or whatever? Um, but there was a suicide note. He was under the influence of quaaludes. So no one really knows if he killed himself. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. maintains he didn't mean to. He was just inf- under the influence of, of drugs, which I tend to believe that because even if he was, even if he purposely shot himself out of depression, mm-hmm. uh, the fucking quaaludes didn't help. And if he was in the right state of mind, he would not have done is that. There a, is there any rumor mill that Dusty Snyder actually killed him? I don't think so. Is there? I don't know. No, about I think that. he went to a room. He went to a room by himself in. He shot himself. But what would be the motivation? 
I don't know. Yeah, I was looking that up, and I don't think there's any motivation because this was he died six months. He killed himself six months after signing that six million dollar contract. Yeah, five right. Years. So right. it's like his manager is like that's yeah. he wants like after five I'm years not, he wants uh, more. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I don't uh, know if those exist. I, I'm not aware of them, and I don't see why that would happen. Like I, I was just curious. If they're both fucked up, who knows? Also, right. the that's suicide the note uh, was in Harry Cohn's handwriting. <laughs> a callback to a previous episode. <laughs> Harry Cohn and his fingers all over this one. <laughs> anyway, tragedy. Oh God. <laughs> yes. No. Very, very, very sad story. The uh, the story of Freddie Freddie Prince. Um, but you know, a a lesson teacher. To uh, how shitty the industry is, yeah. and how shitty fame is in general, mm. and uh, you know, I think I do think we've curbed that a little bit, but like we're still in a at a time in history where like the Britney documentary will come out, mm. and people will be like, "Can you believe how the paparazzi treated Britney?" And then someone tweets something, and we're at their fucking doorstep, <laughs> calling for them to get fired and yeah. ruin their life. So we haven't really changed that much. Yeah, it's harder to hide now. Yeah, that's the only thing. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on uh, Freddie F- Freddie Prince before we get out of here? No. One of rest, our uh, rest in peace, sweet Prince. One of our shorter. Oh, that's the other thing I didn't mention is uh, he went by uh, he went by Freddie Prince. A probably because his name is not his last name is not uh, particularly Hispanic sounding. Uh, but he said that uh, it's funny how like time works because uh, I guess mm-hmm. he told David Brenner he wants to be the king of comedy, and yeah. they said, well, that's already taken by Alan King, who I'm not really familiar with. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "All right, I'll settle for Prince." And he changed it. He legally changed his name to uh, Freddie Prince. And uh, Alan King, I don't know who the fuck that is. So uh, Freddie Prince won out on that one, at least. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, one of our shorter episodes. But you know, there wasn't. Yeah. He led a fascinating life, but not a very long one. He was only in comedy for three, four years, and then uh, sadly uh, took his own life. So yeah, like I said, for more on that, go uh, the Comedy Store documentary. Uh, I mean, they got about. I think we actually might have gotten more in depth than they did on it because mm. it was only part of an episode. Uh, but it is interesting to just uh, kind of note the the impact that uh, Freddie Prinze had historically. And uh, other than that, make sure uh, talking about speaking of suicide, make sure you listen to a very good show, uh, and we'll all kill ourselves. It'll be like Jonestown. We all listen to a very good show. No one's laughing, which makes me uncomfortable at that. <laughs> I smiled and waved at the camera. I was, ad- I was adding to it. I smiled and waved. Hey, maybe the next episode, is so- they've got bigger plans than I realized. <laughs> I spoiled it. Um, and, of course, uh, we record this at Vaulted Podcast in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, anything you want to film or record, uh, music videos, short films, movies, podcasts, whatever, uh, hit up Matt from RI on Twitter. Or go to uh, Vaulted Podcasts, R-I, as in Rhode Island, dot com. And uh, guys, please, if you're a fan of this, we got, we've gotten rave reviews, by the way. Yeah. Historically, I don't know how this played out. Maybe we've taken a real downturn in the episode <laughs> since then. True. But at least at the time of recording this, uh, people seem to love the Patrice O'Neill episode. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so hopefully you guys are still enjoying it. And if you want to get episodes a week early, as well as uh, all the other Blind Mike Project content and more on money and all of that, um, go to patreon.com slash blind mic. We've got merch up as well, like this hoodie I'm wearing. I should probably stop drawing attention to that because now people are going to think I wear this every episode. It's all recorded <laughs> in one day. Don't judge me, you yeah. fucks. Yeah. Uh, but go to the store. Go to our link tree. That's where you can find all the links, Spotify, iTunes, all that shit, as well as the merch store. So uh, go to Blind Mike Project on Linktree, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time on Why Are You Laughing?